Making Work Nobody by Wesley Jackson Wade. Adding another voice to the remote work debate was something I avoided. Occasionally, I fired off a tweet, maybe shared an article on LinkedIn and added a few sentences as preface, but I avoided any deeper takes. The problem for me is this conversation is everywhere. These topics trended through Twitter, to television, to text, to table talk, and I could no longer avoid the matter. I have a Ferrari brain with bicycle brakes. Lanes of context with hidden correlation form super cognitive highways with no speed limits. Just a whiff of that open road air and my brain is hyper accelerating. I'm not alone. There are several articles about this workplace revolution I felt rose above the noise to say something unique, something below the surface we all needed to hear. What I want to add is a broader systemic view of the issue, because this is a systemic issue. That and the somewhat recent Nas track, Nobody, which features a prophetic verse from Miss Lauren Hill pinpointing the systemic issues at play and celebrating her triumph over them. The Great Resignation, employees demanding hybrid work environments, a steady increase in job hopping, and the concept of quiet quitting are not problems. Each phenomenon is simply a symptom of the core issue within our current workplace ecosystem. U.S. workers do not receive autonomy, trust, nor respect from their employers. Hiring adults and treating them as such rarely happens. Employers are not recognizing each individual's ability to make decisions about balancing the often contrasting responsibilities of work demands and life outside of work. Our jobs, our careers are not meant to be the center of our lives. Going back to Miss Lauren Hill's verse from Nobody, there's so much crisis in the world because you reap what you sow. When you keep what you know is meant for someone else, the ditch you dig for them, you might just end up in yourself. Our workplace culture in the U.S. is violent. It is built from myths of social mobility and whitewashed visions of plantations where enslaved Africans toiled and endured. Horatio Alger narratives are cornerstones of U.S. mythology. Culturally, we worship these fables of rags to riches where a poor white kid from the streets could rise to become rich through a little hard work and determination. So many of us have collectively bought and touted these myths of social mobility that we are upset when people simply perform their job without volunteering more of their most precious resource, their time. To see this in our current moment looks like business owners, high-level professionals, and content creators chastising workers as lazy, entitled, and unmotivated because they want to leave work at 5 p.m. This resembles another voice from around the same time as Alger, a physician named Samuel Cartwright who pathologized enslaved Africans as having drapedomania a term Cartwright invented to identify what he called the disease causing Negroes to run away. Cartwright described this disease as the result of two opposing approaches occurring on badly governed plantations. 
First, he stated that slave masters who treated enslaved Africans as equals versus submissive knee benders will induce drapedomania. And second, slave masters who are too cruel will also bring about this disease of Negro liberty. Fast forward to today, and we have done away with chattel slavery, but we have kept a few key elements intact from the time of Alger and Cartwright. Our work culture allows employers to manage, dictate, and take ownership over another person's time. And to keep from being too cruel, workers are at least paid something. To wrap this up nicely with a boost of motivation, workers are told they too can become rich by doing as they are told and giving away as much of their time as possible to their employers. Because that's what industrious Americans do. This is the evolution of U.S. work culture. These are the seeds that have been sown. Now the world will get to see its own reflection and the anointed can pursue their own direction. Again, Miss Lauren Hill's verse from Nobody. All of this requires us to be blunt about the real purpose of work. For some, work is aligned with passions and philanthropic motivations, and for many others, it is not. The more consistent truth is that work provides income, which we need to pay for shelter, food, medical expenses, clothes, transportation, and entertainment. If you want to have kids, add the array of gobsmacking expenses associated with raising children to that list. Work has a clear purpose, but it is not the purpose of living. I'm not saying work is not important. I'm saying work is not of the utmost importance. The relationships we keep and the depth of those relationships are the not-so-secret sauce to life. Want to feel more fulfilled, more connected, appreciated, and balanced? Invest your time into cultivating and maintaining deep and meaningful relationships, not into constantly working 50, 60, 70-plus hours a week. These conversations about our work culture and time are not new, by the way. In the 70s, there was national discourse about the U.S. implementing a four-day work week. Benjamin Franklin had a consistent routine, including taking two-hour lunches. And Audre Lorde taught us that self-care is not indulgence, but an act of political warfare. The truth is, if U.S. workers had trust, autonomy, and respect from their employers, the current talking points about job hopping, the demand for hybrid work schedules, and the concept of quiet quitting would disappear from the zeitgeist. It is also important to note some of us do not have the luxury of jobs that can operate remotely on a hybrid schedule or even with just greater flexibility. In these situations, the quick and easy solution is to pay people a wage reflective of these constraints on their time. Because let's be clear, it is their time, not the employer's. Our time is the most valuable and sacred resource we have as individuals. We maintain the power to protest and speak out against what we will and will not do. And employers 
you have the power to create a work culture that trusts individuals to manage their time. You have the ability to end micromanaging. Allow your staff to schedule their physical and mental health appointments, to take midday trips to the grocery store, to clean their house and exercise between meetings, all without worrying about being watched or taking the appropriate amount of paid leave. Just let them do it. You can do this. Many of us in the U.S. workforce experienced a taste of flexibility during the throes of the pandemic which we are still in, by the way. We worked when we were scared for the safety of our families and our friends. We spent extra time helping students, clients, and customers who were having difficulties adjusting. And many of us kept working as we buried our loved ones who died in pain and isolation. We proved our ability to manage ourselves during one of the toughest moments in the past 100 years. Now, as we head into a future of hopeful stability, this new level of freedom is the benchmark of minimum expectations we will tolerate from our respective places of employment, because this workplace revolution is about the historical reality U.S. workers have endured A reality born from myth and enslavement. Now it's clear that we hold the power, that we can decenter work from our lives and still be successful. Or, as Miss Lauren Hill framed it, why would I join them when I know that I can beat them now? That was the first episode of Chill Reads from the Peace, Love, Power podcast. I'm Wesley Wade. That music was from Foresight. And I'll see you later.